As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Paranormal Concept Show, exclusive to the Paranormal UK radio network. I'm your host, Paul Rook, and as always, we're joined by the stupendous Kerry Greenaway and Richard Clements. Hello, guys. Hello. 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 <laughs> I nearly forgot that PA UK bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what again? <laughs> yeah. yeah, again. <laughs> and you being a manager of the station, tut, oh, no. tut, Mr. Rook. It, yeah. <laughs> That's because I'm not used to it. I'm too used to the other one we used to do. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, best not get that confused. No, absolutely not. No, that was a year ago now. Oh yeah. no, and it must have been. Yeah, how oh. time has moved on. How time flies. Yeah, how time flies. <laughs> so, what have you? What have you been up to this week? Anything good? Well, I'm working on my my um, my Christmas range for Spirit and Soul Island, so I've been okay. knee, knee deep in suppliers this week, uh, which is always fun. I do like buying crystals. <laughs> really, I've never noticed about. Honestly, that. I get into such a little spending frenzy when I'm doing crystal work. It's crazy. Mm. My supplier must crack up. He must love it when I come on on to <laughs> Skype. He's like, oh. I bet he's rubbing his hands together as we speak. <laughs> Probably. My lovely friend, my lovely friend, how is you? I'm like, oh, great, thanks. What you got to show me this week? And he's like, oh, lots of lovelies, lots of lovelies. <laughs> does talk like that. I'm not taking the mickey. He does actually talk like that. <laughs> and then there's lots of oohs and ahs and oohs. <laughs> that goes on. It's terrible. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Bless well, you. I've been out today. I went into town and because I had a book a book token. 
Yes, sir, you saw. Ah, yeah, that's a long time since I've had one of those. So, yes, I went into Waterstones and uh, purchased a book, yeah, called Cursed Britain. Ooh. Mm, yeah, yeah, the trials and tribulations inside my house, I think it's about. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a history of witchcraft and black magic in modern times. Fabulous. I thought you could say witchcraft and wizardry then. <laughs> so, yeah, not not too sure what it's about. I've had a brief little flick through it, but uh, I shall be sitting down and going through that. That's my sort of uh, early winter reading. Something nice and light, I thought. Why not? <laughs> it, yeah. It can't, it can't get any worse. <laughs> like you ain't got enough books rich <laughs> well, yeah, no. that, that's enough one for the pile <laughs> another one for my bookcase later on in life is what i'm thinking <laughs> absolutely we'll have to yeah. wait so. <laughs> oh, read it and then pass it along you know it yeah uh, yes might yeah. take me six years to read it but i'll get there <laughs> yeah i'll take i'll take I'll take it to the Canby Island Book Depository. <laughs> well, at least you know I don't get rid of them. No, that's true. At least I know yeah, they're so safe. You, you mean the Canby Island Book Black Hole? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once it goes there, you'll never see it ever again. To be fair, I've still got a book that I borrowed from Penny ages oh, right. ago. Ages ago. I can't even tell you. It must be like a year and a half ago. Oh, I've, I've still got it. The laugh of it is, though, nobody can worry. Because if you lend me a book, you might not see it for years, but I will still have it. I won't get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> so all you got to do is, like, phone me or ask me, you know, if you want it back. But if not, then it will sit on my bookshelf. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Bless her. She's probably, like, gr- <laughs> like, grinding her teeth at me. But, yeah, I'm notorious for that. Oh, well... Anyway, did, did you did you have a great Halloween though? Yes. Yes, not too bad. Yes, I did. Thank Pretty you. quiet. Awesome. Yeah, getting there. Loving Bly Manor. Still ploughing my way through that. Excellent. I've yet to watch that, but I've been told to watch it. I mean, uh, before you came on, Paul, me and Kerry were chatting, and uh, she refused to tell me any spoilers. She says I've got to watch it. So, uh, so not only have I got a book to read, I've got a TV series to watch as well. Well, I well, think that's it. I think we should do a show on that. I was just saying to Richard before we came on air. So, I think we should do a show on it to explain some of the concepts that are being raised in it. For yeah. the people that don't understand what's going on in some of the episodes. That, that, that would be actually quite good. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I thought that, that would be right up. Go and watch it again. Exactly. That, I thought that would be right up your street. Well, at least it beats Doctor Who, Kerry. <laughs> it certainly does. Anyway, <laughs> we are coming up to another big occasion, aren't we, my beautiful boys? Oh, oh yes, we are. We are. It's just one thing after another. It's just occasion after occasion in the UK. And this is a predominantly UK occasion, which is bonfire night. We have fireworks and bonfires and frivolities and wine and lots of wine and stuff. <laughs> But so we thought we'd talk about this because, say, because it is a predominant, well, it is UK, um, Mm. a UK festival, and the people around the world that lovely love to listen to us may not know about this. So we're going to go into, we're going to delve back into history because there's a background to this that we need to explain because it's one of those, isn't it? Because we're we're at a time when our beloved Queen Elizabeth I, she was dying, um, and she was a virgin Mm. queen, so she didn't have an heir. Oh, that's right, yeah. So, uh, hmm. 
There was a lot of anticipation, though, because uh, during the reign of Queen Elizabeth, uh, uh, she was actually excommunicated by the Pope, which uh, sort of like freed the Catholic subjects of this country, actually, not to have loyalty to her. So during the... Her most of her reign was taken up with uh, trying to fall with foil sort of Catholic plots against her because the Catholics in the country obviously wanted the country to go back to Catholicism, which was not the religion of the UK at the time because we all but reverted to Protestantism. I'm sounding like you now, Kerry. Aren't I know. I? <laughs> they basically they become Protestant. Protestants. Yeah, Protestants. So, but against this background, there was sort of like a lot of rumblings. There was a lot of plots involving sort of perhaps killing the Queen or kidnapping her and sort of so they, so the Catholics could actually force some sort of uh, ask for better treatment. But in retaliation, uh, Queen Elizabeth and her sort of like uh, court uh, put very strict... uh, restrictions on the Catholic faith. Uh, They had to attend Anglican churches. I mean, they weren't allowed to celebrate Mass. So so the Catholic uh, religion here in the UK was actually pushed underground. So there was always a simmering sort of uh, resentment and undertone from from Catholics in in this country. But actually, after the death of uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, there, there looked like to be a bit of hope because... The direct heir was uh, James VI of Scotland, who was the uh, son of uh, Mary, Queen of Scots. And uh, so it was thought that a lot of Catholics would be... There was a lot of light rumblings that he'll be quite favourable to Catholics. So when they brought him to England, uh, he did actually start to ease some of the restrictions that were actually placed on Catholics here in in England. Like uh, he sort of stopped fining them for not attending churches etc and uh, there was there was there was a slight sort of movement that that restrictions were easing but uh, one second let's just talk about the succession because we've got queen elizabeth no children yep. she if a king or queen dies their eldest son would then inherit the throne However, Queen Elizabeth didn't have any heirs because obviously she didn't have children. So she had to nominate an heir. Mm-hmm. So she really didn't want to nominate James VI, but she didn't really have any choice because looking at the way the succession goes, that's <coughs> who would have been next <coughs> next in line when you yeah, look because, at the family trees yeah, and stuff like that. Mary, Queen of Scots, was, was Elizabeth's half-sister. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, yeah. so that's how come... James the sixth of Scotland ended up becoming James the first of England. Mm. Yeah. So that's just yeah. to explain the succession to people that might not understand how succession works um, <laughs> outside the UK. <laughs> it's so complicated. It gets complicated, everyone. Uh, Particularly uh, back in these days. <laughs> and around. Uh, uh, these sort of things, yeah. But uh, say, like, like James, uh, he actually had a Catholic uh, wife, a uh, Queen Queen Anne of uh, Denmark. So again, another good sign. And uh, he's and so when he became King of England, he actually started to put a few prominent sort of Catholic earls sort of in in prominent um, positions. The Earl of Northumberland was one of them, and uh, he uh, so. 
things were starting to move along. But like all things in this period, things weren't easy. There was a bit of a backlash in, in court and parliament. And uh, James basically tried, but he didn't try really hard enough. He sort of backed down. And uh, sort of very early in his reign, he decided to renege on a lot of the stuff he'd promised. Mm. Mm, so, of... so in the country, you've got two massive religious pe- sets of people. You've got the Protestants, yeah. which is like the Church of England. Yes. Who basically that's where King Henry VIII set up. You've got you know supporters of that. And then you've got original religion of Catholic Catholicism Mm -hmm. and depending on the king or queen's affiliation to which religion dictated which religion was dominant in the country now bear in mind Queen Elizabeth I was Protestant and you know the Protestants had a lovely time (laughs) under Queen Elizabeth I but the Catholics very suppressed religious base they it's the same old story, though, isn't it, everybody? It's not being able to get a balance. So, like, nowadays we're very blessed because we can pretty much worship whatever we want, however we want, because we have, yeah. you know, Sikhs and Muslims and Jews and Protestants and Catholics. We have a whole mixed bag these days. So it's hard to sort of understand the divide and the division that this caused. I suppose um, a modern example is is the Black Lives Matter movement, isn't it? It's caused a big division between white and black people because of the way it's Mm -hmm. gone. Um, And this is sort of how it would be back in Tudor period. Do you know what I mean? Oh, not Tudor, post-Elizabethan, James. Stuart. Stuart, that's it, the Stuart period. Where you've got like these, these factions, these two massive religious factions vying for power and prominency within the ruling cultural set. Well, that's right, because it wasn't illegal to be a Catholic. You could be a Catholic, but uh, uh, they uh, it was hoped that uh, you kept your faith to yourself. And uh, But in this period, you know, Tudor into the Stuart period, I mean, religion and politics were so intertwined. Mm-hmm. They were one of the same. I mean, you know, if you were head of the church, you were the head of the, you know, because because the monarch was the head of the church mm. as well. And uh, they couldn't be seen to be taking any influence from another from another from another religious de- uh, denomination, which Catholicism was. But there were uh, uh, Catholicism only really sort of ended during the time of uh, Henry VIII, when he sort of like broke away from uh uh, and from the Catholic Church, so we're still in a relatively uh, uh, an early period of uh, this sort of transition, and uh, it wasn't until the end of the 17th century. I know we're talking about the start of it, but it wasn't until the end of the 17th century when uh, sort of Parliament came in and really did put down the law on succession. Uh, even today, I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, a Catholic can't be king of england it just caused too many it just caused it too many caused issues didn't it too many issues and 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 this dog the whole of the stuart dynasty which was basically the the whole of the 17th century because they had this very uneasy they often flirted with catholicism they would have catholic wives and this and this just caused a lot of trouble mm. 
and th- this is the, the melting pot of emotion that you're yeah. that we're in we're right in the beginning of this this yeah. situation aren't we um it's just a bit of a mess really and <laughs> it swung around the power so is this sort of is this sort of then the settings for um Oliver Cromwell and the English civil war uh that comes later but uh but this is pretty much where it's sort of this Sorry, would be sort of, yes, uh, that there was a religious element to the English Civil Wars, uh, and civil it is a bit more complex than that, but there was a religious element, and it certainly was used, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also, don't forget, Protestants, their head of church is the king or queen of England, queen, whereas yes. for Catholics, it's going to be the Pope. It's going to be the Pope, so there's a torn loyalty there as well. And no king or queen, because they believe they were anointed to be king or queen by God, would accept <laughs> the authority of the Pope, which was the main problem with old King Henry VIII, quite frankly, which caused this problem in the first place, everybody. <laughs> oh, it gets very complicated, our English oh, history at times. <laughs> Don't you just love religion? Yeah, you love it, right? So anyway, we get to this melting pot where James is trying to balance between... He's trying to... The best of both worlds. He's trying to say, basically practice what you like just don't cause me any hassle i'm not prepared to be as strict about catholicism as you know other kings or queens but don't give me no trouble but there was a problem because he discovered two small small little ones catholic plots in the july of 1603 and unfortunately you're going to carry on plotting against me i'm going to come down hard on you that's kind of how it goes isn't it yeah, and a lot of Catholics at the time were horrified when this actually happened as well. You know, they were saying, you know, I suppose you get militants even back then, you know, sort of like you always have your most, your more extreme sort of branches and they, and, the, and a couple of these plots were uncovered and uh, the king was, and that forced the king's hand. He said, right, you go back to the way it was. I can't trust you. Isn't that almost mimicking what's happening today with the Muslims in particular? Um, in the UK, um, because some of the terrorist acts that have happened mm-hmm. in the world, they claim to do it on behalf of the Muslims. Yeah. But then yeah. there's other Muslims out there that will turn around and say, well, actually, yeah, they're no, not acting for me. Foreign. I'm it's a Muslim, just... and it's a peaceful religion. Yeah, exactly. Know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what this is going on. Yeah. Yeah. So the majority of the Muslim people who are living in the West and are trucking along quite nicely, mm. they're like, don't look at us. It's got nothing to do with us. It's we, That is not us. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Whereas you've got these factions that will not be happy and will do what they can to to rock the boat or try and take power. And it's all politics. It is very political, a lot of it. And yeah. mm. as I say, at this time, the the political wrangling was as Richard has already said, is so intertwined with religion, um, we haven't got that separation from politics and religion as being two no, completely separate entities. A, you know, we're still a long way off from a secular society, a secular country mm-hmm. here. A long way off. Yeah. So mm. this is so yeah, you you're you're not wrong in thinking it's very similar to that situation. So you've got factions within the Catholics causing trouble and the rest of the Catholics are going, well, hold on a minute, we were getting a lot, you know, we, restrictions have been lifted, we were able to sort of start relaxing a little bit, you know, we're starting to get a little bit of foot in power, yeah. slowly, steadily, catchy monkey kind of thing, whereas other people yeah. are like, no, we want power. 
I wouldn't want it now kind of thing. And and this is the problem. Um, and so you've got poor old James right in the middle of this going, I sympathise towards the Catholics. Do you know what I mean? I'm a, fine with yeah, the Protestants. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm right in the middle here. And then... I'm trying to keep the wife happy, you know. But yeah. That must yeah. Be difficult. <laughs> That's always difficult at the best of times. Yeah, you with that religion out. in the mix, you know. <laughs> but then these two Catholic plots come up. And he's like, I've got no choice, ain't you? Like, you forced my hand. And then there was a big conference. There's a Hampton Court uh, conference was in January yeah. of 1604. And he basically said, nah, I'm yeah. not going to take this from the Catholics in order to ha- keep the Puritans, the you know Protestants and that side of it, happy. And that really, really upset the Catholics. That really did cause a death blow almost to the yes. Catholics. Their hope was sort of like um, devastated at that point because it just... And this happened quite swiftly within days of this conference. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of like the priests and Jesuits had been expelled and the fines had been reintroduced for not in, and for not attending the Anglican church and everything. I mean, it was pretty swift. Mm. which I didn't hang about in those days. No, that's one thing you will notice um, when you look at this period is when like the, the king or queen decreed something, it happened very quickly. So like when, you know, if you look at how quickly things happened after um, King Henry VIII decided to split from the Pope, from Catholicism and set up his own church, that happened in a relatively short couple of years, a period of time. You yes. know, it weren't like, I think I might. You know uh, what I mean? Yeah. It was like, no, that's yeah. what's happening. And then he sent his troops out and it happened. You well, know, yeah, and anyone quick. that did get in the way, I think, was it Cromwell uh, sort of tried to, uh, you know, he just had, you know, he'd just trump up charges against them and have them conveniently beheaded. Mm. So now yeah. we've got a time where there was hope and people were starting to be able to get more, you know, do things and not get the fines and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden it's back in post on you yeah. it's a bit like lockdown when <laughs> 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 you think about it um yeah the, the only thing with lockdown is that the, the prime minister and the president have said right i've had enough this is what we've got to do and then the others are going uh, some other people are going no i'm not doing that mm. <laughs> yeah more or less <laughs> yeah but they, they haven't got they don't wield the power in the way they used to back in the days back in these no, days definitely. You know, because they could have done a lot more. They could have done they they could have done a lot worse on the streets. They could have put martial law in, and there's all sorts of things they could have done that they didn't. Whereas back then they would have done it mm-hmm. and not thought twice about it. Well, yeah, that's it. And it would have been basically anyone that went against the prime minister or the king or queen at the time would be done for treason. Mm. Well, yeah, exactly. That's exactly where we're at. Bring that back. So we've got the king basically saying now, well, sorry, Catholics, you've you've buggered yourselves up now because I'm not prepared to make any concession and you are going to have to go back under the restrictions because, well, you're plotting against me all the time and you're causing the right trouble and I've got, it's causing lots of issues that I don't want. So this is now where we're at and the Catholics are not happy. So you start, you'll get more problems because of this. So bring in Robert Catesby. Yeah, Mr. Catesby. Mm. He was a very devout Catholic. Yeah. Now, 
it, he has been over his time of life quite persecuted his family have been quite persecuted for being catholics so they've gone through the whole family have gone through this time of constant persecution for his faith i mean his father had been imprisoned um, for harboring a priest he'd had to leave university himself without a degree because he wouldn't take the protestant oath of supremacy um and so he's feeling very not very happy at all he's feeling very suppressed um is old robert um, but he's the kind of person that, you know, like some people you meet that are very charismatic. Oh, yes. Uh, I've sort of read a bit about Mr. Cates. You would have liked him, Kerry. I think all the girls did. I reckon he was a narcissist. Yeah. I love a narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, he is supposed to be very dashing. Ooh, a dashing narcissist. <laughs> My kind of guy. <laughs> he had his own Ferrari and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Or was it a Porsche in the garage? Sorry. Oh, <laughs> let's, let's not go there. Let's not talk about that. No, he had a very, very um, magnetic personality. So when he spoke, people listened. You know, you get these people, uh, Charles Manson, because whenever we talk about people like this, I see the worst <laughs> in people. I never see the good ones. I always see the bad ones. <laughs> Isn't that bad of me? Oh, dear. <laughs> anyway, so basically he gets all his mates together and says, Oh yeah, this this is awful for us Catholics, we need to do something about this and and jolly hockey sticks. And because <laughs> yeah, he has a meeting and I, I, and I find it funny, he, he he sort of gets together a couple a couple of the original plotters first, but they have a meeting in a pub on on the strand called the Duck and Drake. As you do. As you do. Now, I, I have a theory the about this. What's that? The duck or the drake? No, no, the fact that they're in a pub. He's out yeah. with his mates, basically. Because they're, they're, all of these people are his friends, to start with. So you've got Thomas Victor, well, Jack Wright, Thomas Percy and himself. Um, yeah. So you've got the lads night out, right? In the pub. Wow. Talking over, you know, putting the world to rights. Yeah. And as the night's gone on, it's deteriorated into this plot. <laughs> this is how I see this starting. I th- I'm sorry, I don't know well, if I don't uh, think it was anything more than a lads' night out. I know what we should do, kind of moment. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, I can think understand. What you're getting at, yeah, but these would have been the meeting places at and at the time, and you could be quite indiscreet in a crowded sort of tavern at the time um, sort of pubs and uh, coffee shops were quite a lot of spies would have been deployed to these sorts of places and uh, James would have inherited quite a sophisticated spy network from uh, Elizabeth I so uh, yeah but Which even, even, so. even with that understanding again how stupid then to do it in a pub in the middle of London. Well, yeah, it does. Talking about does. blowing up Parliament. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Oh, but know. there was a fifth person present as well, wasn't there? There certainly was, Paul. Yeah. Apparently there was. There was lots of them avail- uh, around at the time. Who was the, f- um, who was the fifth one? I'd, what what one are we talking about? Uh, you're talking the about famous Rifles. one. We're talking about the famous one. Yeah, Rifles. the one everyone knows. Yeah, Guy Fawkes. Yeah. Yeah. Good go. old Guy Fawkes. Good yeah. old infamous Guy Fawkes. Yeah. Yeah. And we burn him every year on the 
top of the fire. <laughs> Poor old guy, folks. Anyway, yeah. he was originally from York, and he'd actually been recruited in Flanders, where he'd been serving in the Spanish army. Um, and they got into this plan to blow up Parliament. But they actually went ahead with it. They weren't just like all drunken talk. They actually went as far as going ahead with their plan. This is how strongly they felt about it. They're going to blow up Parliament. And yeah. we've got, basically, a group of mates, five mates, to start mm-hmm. with, that are doing it, this. It probably, I reckon it probably started, like, you know, um, when Thomas Beckett was murdered, the, uh, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was just some flippant remark, and then two soldiers overheard and went off and killed him. Um, I I think it was something like that, you know. It was a flippant remark about blowing up Parliament and one of his mates was like, actually, that's not a bad idea, I'll do that. (laughs) To be fair, this is kind of how I see this, but they've got money and they've got resources, Mm. this band of fellas, because they, they actually lease a small house at the heart of Westminster and Guy Fawkes becomes its caretaker, but it doesn't go under Guy Fawkes, he actually goes under an alias of John Johnson. Yeah, Mr Johnson. So John Johnson is Guy Fawkes, that's his alias. Mm-hmm. So they've gone that step further, they're actually getting to the point where they're like in the heart of Westminster, they rent out this house. Now bearing in mind, most people rented houses, like the, the gentry would rent an apartment or a house or a manor house, or and then they would go and live there for six months and then move on. You know what yeah. I mean? That was quite common um, back yeah, in the people, day. People would have owned property and just rented it out. And sort of like London's very different back then to what it is now. You know, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be able to get, you know, to rent a property within a mile of the Houses of Parliament now. But uh, I think there were government... house a mile. No, that's <laughs> right. But, but back then, you know. It, it was like that. There would have been, you know, little sort of shops and sort of little houses and stuff, and people all lived on on top of each other. So acquiring a property quite close to your your and your intended tut and target was relatively easy. And as you said, mm. Perry, Catesby and his original sort of uh, four plotters they they were quite well and well connected, and they did have money. Mm. You know, they. They weren't poor, so, you know, they they obviously thought they stood a chance. I have a question What's that? on this. Now, the Houses of Parliament that we know and love today in London, is that mm. how it was in these no. days? No, the Houses of Parliament we've got now were built in the uh, 1850s, I think. Uh, the only bit surviving from the original Houses of Parliament is what's called Westminster Hall and that's off to the oh that's off to the left. No, it's off to the right, I believe, as you stand facing. Yeah, so so that's the original. Yeah. It would have looked nothing like Yeah, it it was wasn't it just like a, a massive big hall as It was basically a hall, yeah. Oh, and Westminster yeah. Hall is the original is 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 the only medieval part that's actually sort of left and this is and this is the part uh, that Parliament would have sat in originally. Oh. So technically, yes, it still exists, but the Houses of Parliament you see now with Big Ben and stuff, that's built off to one side. And wasn't it made of wood as well? Uh, well, it's a stone it's a stone uh, facade, but the interior, yeah, it w- would have been wood-panelled and everything, yeah. yeah. 
So I just wanted to give people an idea that, because I would imagine that everyone's thinking the House of Parliament as they are today, and it wasn't it wasn't as no, magnificent no, as that. Just, just was... imagine an old community hall made of wood and yeah. surrounded by it it was a big for and for its day, but it wasn't massive. It was just a it was just a hall. Yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. what you see today that they're, they're no. looking to blow up. So it's no. and there's a no. lot of houses around that as well. So you have got this accessibility, and you also have things like um, you know like um, cellars and stuff, which yeah. we, we don't really have um, these days either, really, do we? Not really, no. no. Sort of day would have been used for storage and stuff like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have fridges now, so we don't need a cellar. <laughs> this is true. So it's a very different landscape that we're talking about yeah. in regards to this plot. And it's yeah, important yeah, it's to bear definitely. that in mind to um, get, get it into your heads of how they managed to do this in the first place. Because it's not like that now. You'd never get away with it now. Oh, no. Just the you just wouldn't right anyway. So Parliament was successfully postponed to the fifth of November in sixteen o five. Now, the year the number of plotters increased to ten. So we've mm-hmm. gone from the original five. We then add Robert Keyes, Robert Wintour, John Grant, and Kit Wright. These are all relatives. So again, they're keeping it very small, very close, mm-hmm. close within the family and friends set, basically. Yeah. So they're all related by blood or marriage um, to the original five. Yeah. Okay. And one of Catesby's servants, Thomas Bates, was his loyalty was equally firm. So he's been a family servant for a long time. So they're all in this um, little plot. So this is, we're not talking like hundreds of thousands of people. We're talking like literally a small band of people, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, uh, they kept it pretty much to themselves. You know, they were relying on a sort of... They were relying on a lot that would hopefully happen after the event, which mm. will come a bit later, which we'll get on to, but, yeah. But, yeah. So they then took out a lease on a ground floor cellar, which was close by the house that they had rented, where John Johnson, Guy Fawkes, was in, mm-hmm. in const. So they've now got a cellar. Yes, because from the house, they did, I was reading another account, they did actually try and tunnel, because they thought they couldn't, uh, you know, that and that and the house was the closest they could get, but they knew it wasn't good enough. So they did originally try to tunnel, but they had a lot of problems tunnelling. But then, to their luck, this cellar, <laughs> right under where everyone was going to be, became available. Strike of luck. God is speaking to us. He's making our, our plot successful, but he's given us access to this cellar. Yeah. <laughs> or did the, did the authorities know? Well, well this is one of the oh, sort yeah, of yeah. many sort of uh, theories around it, but yeah. Conspiracy yeah. 101. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this uh, cellar did... It was a did... sting operation. It, maybe it was, who knows, right? But this cellar is directly underneath the houses of House of Lords. Right? Yeah. In the following months, 36 barrels of gunpowder were moved in. 36 barrels, that's quite a lot. That's quite a lot. And what you've got to remember here, again, that, that 
and that was quite a feat because gunpowder was very heavily monitored back in these days because it was light and like any explosive and to acquire 36 that would have taken a while to actually get and uh, transport and uh, sort of deposit under a cellar i mean oh, so that I mean, was feels quite the smuggler trade might have come in here yeah a lot of the gunpowder yeah i believe uh, this is where this is one of the reasons they had Guy Fawkes on board because of his connections with uh, the military on the continent. Uh, he he basically sort of would know how to acquire this stuff and how to handle it. By nefarious means, I feel. <laughs> oh, I'm just seeing smugglers all over this. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now Fox is travelling backwards and forwards although he's you know ensconced in this house in London he's also going backwards and forwards to Flanders um, but he was spotted by English spies whilst yeah. doing this he become he, he is noted by the spies I mean he, he, I kind of have him down as one of the <laughs> see my imagination with this whole plot runs right <laughs> it, the whole thing run, makes me run right because I have him acting like you know like <laughs> in like the old crappy spy movies where they're like cloak and dagger in they've got like a cloak over their yeah. eyes and they're like not not suspicious at all <laughs> i've got him acting a bit like that to be you know pinpointed by You've the english spy classic image of guy thoughts with the sort of like the big felt hat yeah you know the cloak mm-hmm. you know with a the barrel on his yeah exactly whistling but... as he's walking down the road exactly. yeah. nothing to see here gov nothing to see here <laughs> <laughs> Of all the people that would stand out in the crowd, he probably would. I don't think it was probably like that, but, you know. Anyway, he was. Um, this got reported back to Robert Cecil. Now, Robert Cecil, Earl of Salisbury, was James's first minister, and he made the link between Fawkes and Catesby, or Catesby, yes. or whatever you want to say his name. So they're starting to go, there's something rather strange going on here. Let's keep our beady little eyes on it. Mm, yep. So they're now noted by the English spies. Now, am I right in thinking Robert Cecil was known as Elizabeth I's eyes? Yes. Uh, yeah, it is the same Robert Cecil. So as I sort of like alluded to earlier, he he, he had his fingers in, in a lot of pies and he knew quite early on, possibly even before Fawkes uh, actually was noted going to and from the continent that something was afoot. Mm-hmm. He, was, he, he set up the spy network in the UK. He was fundamental in doing that. And there's not a lot that got past old Robert Cecil. He was a very clever man. He was very observant, very clever and very good at putting two and two together. Um, so he's an, an, an incredible ally for the king. Yes. And he did listen to him, if he, you know. Well, he was the first minister, literally. He was the prime minister, mm. more or less, even though the, the post didn't, didn't exist. He was the king's principal minister. Mm-hmm. So over the next two months, Catsby then goes recruiting, and he recruits Ambrose Rookwood, as well as Francis Tresham, and Sir Everard Digby. Now, these are very wealthy men. They've owned large amounts of horses and men and money, and this is essential for once they've blown up Parliament, they then need to take control of it. So they need this is the next bit of the plot. So they've got the basics of the plot. So we we can do this. We've got it it's all set. We're ready to go for November the fifth. Boom. Then 
we need you guys to help take over, basically. It seems that uh, they were sort of... Once they realised, and as you said, that uh, this is on, we can do this, then they went out to start to recruit the bigger hitters, you know, the people who did have the financial means and the status to actually take over the country after the deed was done. Mm-hmm. And and so they, they're now pulling in, they're now extending out a little bit, but right yeah. on top of this. Now, Tresham is related to Catesby. He's, you know, related through marriage. And mm-hmm. but, and he was brother-in-law to two Catholic peers, the Lord Stoughton and Monteagle. Mount right. Eagle. Monteagle? Mount Eagle? Mount Eagle, yeah, Monteagle, yeah. And these are Catholic peers. So they're, it's in their vested interest that this goes ahead because it's going to be good for the Catholics, right? Yes, yeah. so you don't know that. And even though they are sort of quite well positioned, yeah, they are, you know, they would, it would benefit them if it comes off. The problem with peers is they tend to be in the House of Lords. Yes. So you've got family <laughs> ties here. Yeah. And you've got and people this... that's family that could end up being blown up in the the boom. Yeah. Right, so this is, this is we're now starting to get, um, you know, like, torn loyalties, aren't you? Because you go, oh, I want this plot to go ahead, but I don't want my family to be blown up while I'm in it. You know what yeah. I mean? So you, you're starting to get, you know, other threads of worry coming through on this. Now, yeah. we're only a couple of weeks to go. Everything's ready to go. Everything's set. We've got the right players in the right places in the right time. We've got the funds. We've got the men. We've got the, you know, we've got everything ready to go. Guy Fawkes is the guy who's going to do the boom bit. Yep. He's going to light the fuse and set off to the continent. He's the one with the matches. He's the one with the matches, yeah. (laughs) At the same time as the explosion, Digby would lead a rising in the Midlands, kidnap King James's daughter, the Princess Elizabeth, and then install her as a puppet queen... So they're going to put her as the queen because obviously the king's dead. So they're going to, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to kidnap her and make her do what we tell her to on the throne. Yep. Yep. And then in Europe, Guy Fawkes is going to be talking to the continental governments to help their acceptance and their support. Yeah. See, my, wor- my worry about the whole Princess Elizabeth being puppet queen mm. is where they're going to put their hands. Ooh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like is it going to be one of those puppies with the strings marin, marin, marinettes or is it going to be like a whole ventriloquist dummy you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh Paul you do make me oh god your yeah. brain goes off in angles <laughs> really weird um, basically <laughs> I don't know where to go anyway. with that. Yeah, anyway, moving <laughs> swiftly on. <laughs> My imagination just goes off in a tangent when he says things like this, and then mental images yeah. come in, and I'm like, what, what, where am I going with this? Just get into the exciting bit. I know. Now we get to the exciting bit. 26th well, you find out where the hands are going. We find out where the hands are going. Now, on the 26th of October, an anonymous letter was actually delivered to Lord Monteagle. Now, don't forget, this is the brother-in-law of one of the plotters. Right? Basically saying, don't go. Don't go to Parliament. Avoid the opening. So they obviously didn't tell him what they were planning to do when they were garnering his support. But he's received a letter. Mm -hmm. An an anonymous letter at that. Yeah. Ooh. 
any so problems with his handwriting. He but, thought it had come from Lord Tresham, mm-hmm. yeah, and then took it to Salisbury. Yeah, and that's the person you wouldn't want to have it, would it? Mm-mm. Uh-uh. So anyway, they decided to basically, and this is where the sting comes in. So they know, they know now, something's afoot, <laughs> something nefarious is afoot, my friends. But they're going to let it play out and, and basically strike at the last minute. Maximum impact, um, let them think they're getting away with it and then it's all okay. And, they're, and this yeah. is... Something Salisbury was very good at. He was very good at taking it to the last minute. This is why he carried favour with Elizabeth for so long and stuff. Though he 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 almost had a magical sort of like effect on court because uh, the things he found out were always sort of done so quite theatrically at the last minute. Which with this plot, you know, it, it took it took balls for him to do it. Yeah, because yeah. if he'd have got his timing wrong, yeah, it <laughs> would have been a different story. Exactly. But Thomas Ward, one of Monteagle's servants, then warned the plotters that this letter had been sent. So he yeah. went, guys, Monteagle's received this letter. So they know. But they thought, well, nothing's happened. No one's come down on us. We've not been arrested <laughs> or, you know, there's no, like, signs that anything's amiss so they returned to london and on the 4th of november percy visited his patron northumberland to snuff out sniff out even not snuff out (laughs) sniff out any potential danger so he they are they are sort of like ask tentatively obviously they're not going do you know about our plot to blow up parliament it's not it's all very subtly done To see if there is any problem, you know, if there is any danger that their plot's been, you know, foiled and um, Mm. there's there's a problem with it. So doesn't get anything. And this is Salisbury. This is just perfectly done, quite frankly, because he doesn't, none of the conspirators are worried that something's amiss at all. They're they're all quite confident that it's all going to go to plan. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So they, they're ready to go on with the plan at this point. This is on the 4th of November. This is the day before. Oh, it's all very, very tense, isn't it, everybody? <laughs> Exciting. Everyone's on the edge of their seat. Are they going to do it? Now, because uh, it's the 4th, isn't it? And Kate's been writing baits of even set off for the Midlands now, haven't they? So, yeah, you know, yeah, they're off doing what they need to do. They're setting up their, their... And they're taking up their positions on stage, aren't they? mm yeah, everybody's getting into their positioning. So you've got like Catesby Wright and Bates going off to the Midlands, ready to do the princess kidnapping and the uprising up in the Midlands. And then you've got the people in London ready to do that. Everything is on go mode. Yeah, you've got Guy Fawkes about to go and buy a lighter. Yeah, you've got him in the back of the yeah. side. Who's got any matches? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's bought his matches down the local market. Buy <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Five> for pounds. <laughs> <laughs> then Salisbury ordered Westminster to be searched. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. I know, I know. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> and then the first search spotted, strangely, a suspiciously large amount of firewood in a certain cellar. Ooh, so we've got firewood. Of, 
You've got mm. father, yeah. Mm. What's all that doing down there? And then they searched, they carried on searching, and the second at around midnight, they found Guy Fawkes. They, obviously, oh. he was arrested. He gave his alias, John Johnson, right? But Percy's name had already been linked with the cellar and the house because he's the one who'd rented it, right? And yeah, obviously, absolutely. so they went, right, okay, well, Guy Fawkes, you're here with 36 barrels of, like, gunpowder. We found a load of firewood as well. What's going on, Mr. Johnson? Because obviously they said his name was John Johnson. <laughs> and um, how do you know Percy? And he said, oh, oh. <laughs> 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 it was just some strange person I met in the pub. And um, they then put a rest for his, you know, a warrant for his arrest, sorry, um, out on Percy. So the the, the plot is being foiled at the midnight, death. right at the last knockings. It's a shame. And that's why it's the 5th of November, because it happened at midnight. But it happened midnight on the 4th, didn't it? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it carried over into the 5th. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, now that's blown, everybody's running around, basically. You've got plotters escaping from London to the Midlands. Um, now, this is quite a feat. I was actually surprised at this. Rookwood, he covered 30 miles in two hours on a horse, one horse, not loads of horses. He didn't change horses. He had one horse, and he did 30 miles in two hours. That is going some. That is That poor horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we were talking about this earlier. We said uh, we reckon that horse got He killed his horse to do he that. Must he yeah. must have done. But he did catch up with the co-conspirators and warn them. So now everyone's been warned. Um, but it, it's done. The plot's foiled. You, you're all running for your lives now because, you know, it, it's only a matter of time now. We're on TikTok time. <laughs> 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 now, Catesby, Rookwood, the Wright brothers, Percy Bates rode to Warwickshire. Um, now, at the time, this was Thanksgiving for the discovery of the plot, and they were all lighting bonfires. They were going, yeah, we foiled the plot to blow up Parliament. Woohoo! Yeah. And that was happening on the 5th of November. Everyone was going, thank the Lord that didn't happen. And they're celebrating the fact that they that they had, um, you know, it had been discovered and, and Parliament had been saved and our king was safe and all this. So they're in the throes of, you know, jivolity about this all, you know, celebration that they foiled the plot. John Johnson's in the Tower of London being interrogated and all these other people are riding for their lives to Warwickshire. Well, yeah. Up to close to where Paul is now. <laughs> I know, Paul. And have they stopped by yet, Paul? No, they haven't. I've got... Um, I've got some, be like, careful. Don't really answer the door for. to them. <laughs> or you'll some, be in trouble. I've got some warm drinks for them in barrels. <laughs> um, you know, so... Like they can stop here and go back later to try again. <laughs> now, poor old Guy Fawkes, John Johnson, remember, same person, is being interrogated. Now, he doesn't squeal, basically. He's not a grass, is our John Johnson? Of course he's not. He's English. <laughs> and on the 6th of November, James I then gave permission to use torture... That's right, because uh, a lot of people think torture was rather mean. It was, you know, torture was not uh, widely used in England. You know, it had to be sanctioned from very high. Either the uh, Home Secretary, you know, perhaps Salisbury, or the King himself would have to sanction torture mm-hmm. if they needed to get information. And this would have been 
one of the uh, times they, yeah, the king would have thought, yes, I'm, I will sanction the use of torture to find out who's behind this. Because at the moment, the only other person linked to this is Percy. Yeah. That's all the authorities know. We know Percy, we kind of, you know... You can make a jump of assumption to some of the other conspirators. But yeah. generally, the only one we know for definite is Percy because of him renting the houses and the cellar. And we've got this John Johnson guy, folks, in, in thing. But we need him to squeal on them, basically. So yeah. do, we, do we know what sort of torture they used? Or did they, did they just tickle his feet? Oh, we'll, we'll go into that in a bit. Okay. Yeah. We'll, oh, yeah, yeah. we'll get to he's the gruesome. He's yeah. He is. He's jumping the gun. Let's just get the plot bit out of the way and then we'll get into the real okay. juicy bits. <laughs> juicy bits. Oh, that's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. Now, the plot has raided Warwick Castle. So they've decided, sod it, we're going to just go for Warwick Castle instead. Because <laughs> they're now wanted men. They've got stolen horses. They're, Consolation they're, prize. They're literally... All over the show. They ain't got a clue what they're doing now. So they rode, they ride to Holbeck House in Staffordshire because they thought that would be more easily defended. But all their stash of guns and gunpowder and all that was, I think this is so macabre but funny, um, was wet. It got soaked. So they laid it in front of the fire to dry. Yeah. Really? <laughs> really? Where's your common sense, people? <laughs> Well, well, gunpowder back then was a lot different from what it is now. It was very coarse. It came in little, in little grains, probably wheat size, sort of like, and little grains. And uh, it was a constant problem of gunpowder getting wet back then. And uh, yeah, sort of to and to dry it out, you would uh, yeah, sort of lay it out and sort of put it on a mat or something or a blanket and sort of just spread it out just to try and dry it out. And plus, these were desperate men. <laughs> Well, yes, they are desperate men. Being stupid. Well, I do think common sense, but the, there was an explosion. It blinded John Grant. So basically, they know a confrontation's coming. They've already wiped out one of their men through stupidity. Quite frankly, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, two hundred men was led by Sir Richard Walsh, who was the High Sheriff of Worcestershire. They arrived at Holbeck House on the morning of the eighth of November. The battle was short, 200 men firing on a house. Yeah. Come on now. Um, yeah. so well, Kate... of course it was short. You had the 200 men about to um, shoot at them, mm -hmm. and they were drying out their gunpowder on the fire. You can, you can <laughs> imagine the franticness. Guy... He didn't even need 200 men. He could have just had two. two. Yeah, Turn but... up with two men, knock on the door, and bang. Yeah, could have done. Could have been yeah, a bit more subtle good. about it, I suppose. But yeah. no, they decided to go all guns blazing. And um, the Catesbys, the Wrights, and Percy died from their wounds. And Thomas Wintour, Rookwood, and Grant were captured. But five others remained at large. Not for long, though. Mm. By December, only Robert Wintour was still free. So he's literally last man standing, poor love. Well, yeah. Only because he weren't drying out his gunpowder. <laughs> he managed to get away from all that. Can you imagine this? God bless him. Could you imagine the anxiety and stress he's going through? I mean, we think it's stressful now, but go on, yeah. You don't want to be Robert Wintour in these days. No. no. <laughs> That's a sweating time, isn't it? <laughs> and then, anyway, under interrogation, Bates admitted confessing the details of the plot to the 
priest Father Desmond. So now we've got Jesuits implicated in the powder treason. So the government yeah. set off to find him, and then they start ransacking Catholic houses. The the shockwaves and the ripples of this plot is just... I don't think people understand how... The, in- the thing with the Jesuits, they were always sort of, like, considered behind all sorts of plots. I mean, the Jesuits were sort of, like, considered the fanatical sort of wing of the Catholic sort of church, you know, so if you could imply the Jesuits you were laughing it gave it gave the crown free reign to do anything and that's when they really sort of went out and as you said Kerry they were ransacking any Catholic home or or anywhere and this is the last thing Catholics actually wanted yeah I mean they say you can't underestimate the shockwaves that this put through the community you know like the culture and the society at that time it really was a, a from a tiny plot with 10 guys to blow up the Houses of Parliament, <laughs> the shockwaves of this and the impact it had was just in- incredible, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. So... It was. <laughs> to further capitalise on this going on, the King's Book, which contained James's own account of what happened and the confessions of Fawkes and Wintour... Um, appeared in late November. So basically, this is a uh, propaganda against yes. Catholicism in general. Basically, <clears throat> so it's it's basically a damn. It was very it was very common at the time, and this is the 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 start of mass printing and when it became available. And uh, after major events and uh, things like that, sort of the notable people involved would publish their accounts and oh. obviously the King James did publish his account of the day, which would have been snapped up. Isn't oh. this the same King James that um, rewrote the Bible or reissued the Bible? Yes. Because we is, get yeah. a King James's Bible, don't we? Oh. Yeah. yeah. So he was a busy author then. And he wrote <laughs> demonology as well. Yeah. Yeah, see, so I'm surprised he didn't notice anything going on, you know. <laughs> The problem with with James, he was he was very academic in regards to you know he, he would put work out there and like you say you know the King's yeah. Book and stuff like this, and a lot of his work. Unfold, for a very ineffectual man, he was very influential on how people reacted. I mean, we know what happened off the back of his book Demonology. That witch trial started. Well, you know yeah. I mean, they used that as a as a a book basically of you know how to spot a witch you know and and use that as their like sort of yardstick in regards to the witch trials we you know, that's a completely different topic sounds, but he he's what it sounds like he's a bit of a troublemaker yeah he tried so really hard not to be he yeah. was sort of like a man of his time a sort of like a, a a renaissance man i think you know if he wasn't king he would definitely have been sort of like an academic or someone definitely. of high high regard mm. Yeah. He had the burden of king on top of that as well. Unfortunately, he did. And because he's got that title of king, his words had weight. Oh, yeah. And that's why we have such a repercussions from what, what he put out there, basically. That's why the King James's Bible is so heavy. <laughs> <laughs> he had the weight of the world on his shoulders when he wrote it. Now, Francis Tresham died of illness in the Tower. Robert Winter. Pardon? Probably the lucky one. Yeah, yeah, because it was in December, so it didn't last long. Basically, mm-hmm. Robert Wintour was captured in the new year, and in 1606, on the 27th of January, the trials began. Now, basically, 
Salisbury has, has sort of layered this. He's he's in control of this uh, this um, trial, should we say? Yeah. And basically puts the principal responsibility on the Jesuits. Mm-hmm. And then basically they all got found guilty. <laughs> the guy, yeah, the long and the very, short of it. I don't think it was a very long trial. Traitors. You're all traitors. And the traditional punishment for traitors is what? We've covered Go this. Go on, Paul. Tickling feet. Yeah. <laughs> if only it was that simple. Although I have to oh, say, what, that can be horrible. What about, what about being forced to dry out the king's gunpowder? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Risky, but still not macabre enough. <laughs> Mate, how about hung, drawn and quartered? Yay! That sounds about right. That sounds like the that standard. <laughs> yeah. Hung, drawn and quartered. Only Digby pleaded guilty and the trial that followed um, that of the other seven, basically, they were all found guilty of high treason and they were executed on the 30th of January and then Wintour, Rookwood, Keys and Forks were the next day. Yep. Mm. On that note, we've actually come to the fir- end of the first half. Ooh. Oh, that was quick. It was, wasn't it? So we're going to take a quick break. And then yep. we're going to continue with this little foray into English history. Dur- then... During the break, I'm just going to dry out some gunpowder and I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're wondering how this pertains to the paranormal, you're going to have to tune in after the break. <laughs> Hello, Harry Price here. If there's nothing me and my friends enjoy more here on the other side, it is to sit back and relax and listen to the Paranormal Concept Show right here on the PAUK Radio Network. Broadcasting a plethora of interesting and informative content for all your paranormal needs. Find them across social media to keep up to date with forthcoming shows and all their other adventures. Hello, is there anybody there? And welcome back to the Paranormal Concept Show, exclusive to the Paranormal UK Radio Network. Now, before the break, we delved into the history and set the scene and told you all about the plot and the conspirators and all that sort of stuff. And so now we're going to get into a little bit more detail in regards to torture. Oh, yeah, this is the bit everyone's been waiting for. (laughs) Yeah, you love a bit of torture, didn't you, Kerry? Shh. Don't tell everybody. That's private information. <laughs> and from what I hear, Paul, I'm not the only one. Mm. Oh, dear. Come on, you Anyway, anyway, getting back on topic. <laughs> now, Guy Fawkes obviously got tortured um, in the Tower of London to give up the names of the other co-conspirators that were that were all involved. But when he was asked about why he had so much gunpowder, because he had 36 barrels, remember, he was found with the 36 barrels, um, he said to blow you Scotch beggars back to your native mountains. Mm. Defiant answer there. <laughs> All right? And that was just while he was being talked to, you know, asked questions like you would. Um, and then he wasn't giving any information away. We've already said that James gave permission for um, Guy Fawkes to be, or John Johnson, to be tortured. And in a letter of the 6th of November, James wrote, The gentler tortures are to be first used unto him. 
et sic per gradus at ima tendicure. And thus by steps extended to greater ones. And so Godspeed your good work. Good work. Torturing somebody. <laughs> Lovely. So light torture. What 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 do they class as light, light torture? I, I think that is tickling feet, tickling arms. <laughs> Obviously you... pinning them down and like they so they can't pull away or anything. Because that is quite torturous, isn't it? Mm. I agree. I, was, I, was, I, would, I, would talk, I would talk anything if someone was trying to tickle my feet. I, I mean, you. if someone tied your arms and legs down or, or attached to the wall or something, and then they just started tickling your feet, yeah. For me, you and your foot fetish. Yeah. Unless you're a foot oh, fetish. No, and then if, anyone, you... if anyone had to do if anyone done that to me, by the time, if they took me down... They would have to leave the country. <laughs> well, a light torture is actually by using manacles. Basically, it's handcuffs and hung from a wall. These aren't fluffy pink handcuffs, by the way. These are iron ones, so they're going to cut into your wrists. Yeah. And you're going to be hung from the wall. So your entire body weight is hanging, basically, from your wrists that on these manacles. You see, yeah. um, you see, oh, isn't there a famous Monty Python one where they're manacled to the wall yes i believe there is uh is it life of brian uh the guy's manacled to the wall yeah in yeah the i cellar. can't remember which one though uh, but yeah i mean it is you're actually suspended you're, you're just hung up on the wall by your arms your wrists and as you say kerry and these would have been raw iron manacles they would have cut in and you would just be left there that would be you know uncomfortable enough yeah, painful and uncomfortable because don't forget the pressure it's putting on your sockets, you know, yeah. your your shoulder sockets and um things like that. It's just and it's gonna they're not we're not talking like beautifully finished manacles either. These are rough edge, so they're cutting in, they're causing a lot of pain. Then it becomes more severe and basically bit by bit the torture ups the ante and then basically you end up on the rack. Yeah. Right. What's the rack? Well, yeah, the rack is uh, like a, a a table. It has sort of like two pulleys at uh, each end, so they secure your feet at one end, and the far end, your arms are put in again like manacles, and the rope will go round another pulley at the uh, at the other end, where they would wind it, and which would basically stretch you. Yeah. That is basically it. But it was quite a refined thing to actually put someone on the rack. I mean, you had to know what uh, what you were doing. You know, there was sort of a very fine edge between, you know, put, and putting the pain and not totally sort of ripping the person apart. So it's uh, quite a it's quite an art form in itself. But I think Guy, Guy Fawkes before the rack was um, what five foot four. <laughs> When he when he come out, he was in the Guinness <laughs> Book of World Records for the tallest man. The world's tallest man. <laughs> yeah, uh, isn't that in one of the Carry On films? <laughs> yeah, possibly. probably. <laughs> I'm sure there's a Carry On film where they put one of them on and he comes out really tall. But it's actually far from fun because when you're on the rack, cartilage, ligaments, and bones would snap and pop. So the pressure it's putting on your joints, and don't forget you've already had a lot of pressure on your shoulder joints and stuff like that. You're already in pain from being hung on the wall. Now they're actually ripping you apart basically from the inside out. 
Yeah, and they would have been uh, sort of uh, doing other bits and pieces while you were sort of lying there, prone, you know, uh, pulling, you know, things like pulling your fingernails out, perhaps, or toenails. So they would have been exerting other sort of means of torture whilst you were there as well. Burning you with torches, candles, all sorts of weird and wonderful things they did whilst trying to extract information from you whilst you were on the rack. But I give Forks is, you know, you spent three days of it. Yeah. It's no mean feat. No. No, he did uh, He did all right, did our guy, Forks. He kept his, held his tongue. Um, but the part you... maybe, maybe he didn't mind, because if he had mean feet, stretching his two farthings. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the way my back is sometimes, sometimes I could do with a bit of racking. <laughs> Stretch me out a bit. But this can lead to dislocations of shoulders, elbows, knees, wrists, ankles. Like I say, it tears cartilages and ligaments and bones are snapping and popping and fracturing. It's incredibly painful. And and say, what with all the other things that they're doing to you, like, have you ever had a fingernail ripped off by, like, you know, just in life? I have. Yeah, it's quite... Oh, my God. Really painful. in, in my day job as um, the St John Ambulance stuff, I've I've seen it, so I know how painful people, have, you know, have been in, you know, so much pain. Mm. So yeah, but no, I've never experienced it, luckily, and I hope I never do. Well, I have because when you have like false nails put on, yeah. They take well, it acrylics. Down. Yeah, acrylics. They basically file your nail bed right down and then stick the nail to that bit. Right. right. So they and then I would caught a ball while I had these things on and the ball ripped the nail off. And oh my god, that was the worst pain I think I've ever felt in my life. It was so painful. Mm. Oh, Lots of nerve endings in the end of your fingers. Oof, yeah. Very, very painful. So when you yeah. think of things like that, that's just one finger and that throbbed like a bugger that did. And um, so, you know, when you think about that, just that one thing was bad enough. I thought I would squeal. I'm sorry, everybody. If I was caught and being, uh, there'd be no torturing. I'd just tell them. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the threat of just the rack alone. So, yeah, right. so, yeah, you can do a rack, just even my joints out a little bit. But then I'll tell you everything. You don't have to go further. It's fine. You know, just like a bit of chiropractic. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway. And then, obviously, they were hung, drawn, and quartered after, you know, when they got found guilty of treason. They then were hung, drawn, and quartered. Now, this is the cost, basically, of high treason. It's um, basically criminal disloyalty to the state, which you can't get more criminally disloyal than saying, I'm going to blow up Parliament, right? Yeah, right, exactly. So, hanging, drawing, and quartering is basically what it was. Now, it's the ultimate. It's the ultimate in humiliation and torture and death all in the same go so and you're doing this in front of a crowd of people this is public yes of course so stage one you're taken to the place of execution by a horse but your head is nearest to the ground so basically you're tied by your feet being dragged by a horse yeah they usually put you on a sort of rough sledge and yeah in your sort of like your feet obviously you were facing the back end of the horse so it's raised up so you're at an angle and uh, yeah they you know you just sort of carted through the streets to your place of execution 
Now we're not talking. Mm. Your head is bouncing off cobblestones, and in you're in the muck yeah. and the dirt and God knows what, being dragged to the place of execution. This is not a pleasant little trip on a little sledge on the back. <laughs> <laughs> to, be fair, to be fair, I think if you're on your way to be hung, drawn, and quartered. The dirt on the street is going to be the least of your worries. To be honest with you, once you've gone through the rack and being hung and tortured in that way, you're yeah. probably beyond yeah. beyond care at that point anyway. Um, so that's the drawing bit. You're then hung. Now, we've talked about hanging before in the gallows show, so you should all, yep. listen, all those listeners out there should know all about mm-hmm. that. But you're not hung until you're dead. You're hung until you're nearly dead. Yeah, they would just place the noose around your neck and you won't be pushed off. You'll be drawn up. And uh, sort of just left to dangle, strangle for a minute or so, and then they will drop you back down on the ground for uh, the uh, for the next bit, which would involve uh, the cutting off of your genitals, which were put on a fire before your own eyes, uh-huh. and then your bowels and heart would be removed before you were decapitated. Beautiful. So you're alive, you're alive witnessing all of this. So if it ain't bad enough that you've just been, you know, you've been tortured, you've been dragged through the dirt (laughs) by your feet, you've then been hung, so you're nearly dead, but you're not quite dead. You're aware, basically. Oh, yeah, the whole thing. Cut off your willy and then set that on fire in front of your eyes. That's painful enough. Although I have to say, by that point, you probably don't care that they've burnt it. Uh, you know you what I mean? died of shock by yeah. then anyway. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then they go for the bowels. Did you know, yeah. actually, that if you slit, like, um, just below the navel, if you do a cut, all your yeah. bowels fall out. You don't die from that, but you can't pile them back in. You can't hold it together and... And put no. them back in. Once well, they're out, they're right. out. Oh, okay. Just, yeah. Just so you know. Things that. you learn. Things you learn, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And then always have your handbag with you. Then. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why girls always have a big handbag. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. Keep our mouths in when we've got a cut across our tummies. Yeah. <laughs> God. And then, last but not least, the piece de resistance. Your heart is removed, and that does kill you. That if you're still yeah. alive at that point, you're no, dead. That- that will kill you as soon as they sort of, uh, if you're not dead already, and then you move on to stage three, which is basically they chop you up into four bits. Yeah. And uh, dispatch her with um, with the people like the, uh, the as notorious as the gunpowder plotters. Uh, all four bits will be sent to the four corners of the kingdom. Yes. And put on display. They would usually soak them in something like tar or pitch, and they would usually be hung on, uh, you know, city gates. I think York had one, a bit of Guy Fawkes, and I think another bit of him was sent down to Exeter. So, you know, they make sure that the four corners of the realm are, are all covered. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, if you're in a long line of people waiting for the hang drawing quarter, you're watching all of this go ahead. Whilst, and you're waiting for your turn. They're not doing it all in one go. They're doing this like one person after another. So he's, Guy Fawkes at this point, he's waiting um, and watching his co-conspirators sort of go through this process um, before him. But he has enough wits about him, even though he's like weak and he's been through hell. He gets to the bit where he's hung, but he jumps. And that jumps actually off. breaks his neck. Yeah, so he's dead. Yeah, so, yeah, he probably took the wise move there. To be fair, I think that... Coward's way out. Yeah. Well, coward's way out, Paul. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. <laughs> <laughs> You're so hard at times. I can't get over you sometimes. I think that's like the, yeah, right, it's the easier way out. You're not going to get hung, drawn and quartered, but, you know, you've been through hell up to that point, so I don't blame him. But you can imagine yeah. the crowd were like, boo, hiss. You yeah, know what I mean? Thought, like, it's he's boiling. the main man and he's the one we've come to see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, the, he's the guy that we all wanted to, to take our wrath out on and stuff, and he foiled them, so... Anyway, they just basically cut his body into quarters and sent him off to the four corners of the kingdom. So, yeah, he foiled them at the last moment. Damn. Bless him. But let's have a look, right? Let's get into the paranormal side of it because that is the history of the gunpowder plot and a bit, you know, about what they went through and all the rest of it. And that's why we celebrate bonfire night. This is a big thing. We celebrate, you know, we thank the... We like bonfires, we have Thanksgiving for all, you know, saving Parliament and all that tosh. And, um, yeah, that's why we, we do fun. what we do. We have fireworks, we, you know, and we, we've made an occasion out of it, which still is very popular to this day. And I don't think many people are going to bother this year. Well, I think they would want to bother. I just don't think it's... There's a lot of driving firework displays that I'm seeing. Well, yeah, there there is, isn't there? But I think after listening to this show, they're going to be like, do you know what? I wish you'd blown them up. <laughs> I'm not celebrating that anymore. I think there's quite a few people that probably wish there was another gunpowder plot. And why, <laughs> not just one side out, but the whole lot of them. Let's start again. Well, as long as they dry the gunpowder out before. <laughs> just don't do it in front of a fire, everybody. That's just no, basic no, common no. sense. No, the hair dryer out. Yeah, you know. yeah, use your hair dryer. Yeah. <laughs> blow it all over the house. Right, so let's have a look at some ghosties. Let's have a look at some ghosties that are actually uh, pertaining to the gunpowder plot because we do love a bit of a ghosty. Got to have a spirit. And of everything they've gone through, if we go on the fact that trauma and, and you know, emotional impact is what keeps you staying in haunting places, then this shit, this plot, shit, has got all the hallmarks for it, right, guys? It should yeah. have, yeah. And the, and the first one on the list is actually one that I've discussed in a blog. Correct. It is the Tower of London, the infamous yeah. Tower of London, which is a place that we all want to go and investigate, but no one's allowed to. <laughs> I like what the research says here. It's, it, it's got more ghosts than a Pac-Man convention. It does have a lot of ghosts, <laughs> the Tower yeah. of London. I would say, if you can guarantee a ghost, the Tower of London's got to be up there, right? Well, it's got to yeah. be. It's got to be. And, uh, well... Yeah, and uh, even this incident in history doesn't seem to have gone amiss, does it? No, it doesn't. Guy Fawkes is supposed to be, you know, supposed to do it. Do it. Yes. Haunt. Haunt, should I say. <laughs> supposed to do it. Yeah, it does it at the Tower of London, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, basically, there's a room where he, they, he was kept. And there is, when you go into it, yeah... It has signatures and it's got the before and the after signature. So like before he was tortured and then the after tortures, you can sort of see the detour, deterioration, deteriorate. Deterioration. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, that word there. Um, you know, in the tower. So, and that you can still see that signature. Yeah, it is, uh, it is quite a famous document. Yeah. I will try and uh, get a uh, post up uh, for that uh, when when the show's out and put it on the uh, Facebook page. Mm -hmm. 
Now, his screams and cries are said to be heard um, in the room where he was held. And the room is now named after him. It's the Falks Tower. Oh, right. That's the one where they were tickling his feet. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and he's one of many. And the reason we bought, you know, bought up the Tower of London ghosties is mainly because we talk about Guy Fawkes and he's supposed to to um, haunt there. So you can hear him screaming. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame him. Yeah, well, he, he he's earned his place to haunt, the, to haunt there, you know, and he's in quite good company. Was it Anne Boleyn, uh, the kings, was it Princes of the Tower? I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's quite a few famous ones there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you ever come to England, anybody who doesn't live in England who listens to this, then definitely go to the Tower of London. It's... Um, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating place. It was just an um, amazing place to go. To go and visit. Yeah, I've been several times in my lifetime and no doubt will go more because I love yeah. it. I love the Tower of London. It's cute. Yeah. Cute. Cute. And it's got lots of gems there, which is like my favourite bit. I can't get me Oh, the crown jewels, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. I do like that bit. I can't <laughs> deny. History can't deny. of... The work that go anyway, I'll go off from tangents if we start talking about that. Let's talk about Badsley Clinton in Warwickshire. This is the historic walled manor and was a stronghold of the Catholic faith. Packed with priest holes. What's a priest hole? Oh, that's that's a hole where priests used to hide in when yeah, I was her, come knocking on his door. Yeah, a lot of sort of houses, old sort of manor houses, they would secrete sort of like little secret rooms and stuff for, uh, yeah, uh, as Paul said, and as the, and as the name suggests, uh, where they could either sort of hide a priest or hide the vestiges of, uh, sort of the Catholic faith, you know, all their sort of paraphernalia would be hidden because, yeah, uh, didn't, didn't some places have like almost like mini churches? Yeah, and they would have been set up, but once the authorities come and knocking, which wasn't uncommon, especially after the gunpowder plot, uh, you would have to hide all your stuff. Mm. And they were quite ingenious, sort of, some of these places. There's a place near me, uh, Ingate Stone Hall, and it's actually got a priest hole underneath the fireplace. The fire half, you know, you sort of remove uh, the fire grate, and there's a huge stone. I think you remove the stone. And it's under there. So someone goes in there, you put the stone back, put the fire back, you know, sort of build a fire on top, light it and stuff, and just say, well, it's the fireplace. Mm. And there's someone underneath it. Quite a lot of... Um, it's quite common, actually, because also in the chimney stack as well, they'd put, like, you'd be go up into the chimney stack and then there'd be a room off that they would obviously yeah. back off, then light a fire, so it just looks like a fire. There's lots and lots of little places like this around in lots of country towns. Yeah, and the authorities would actually sort of uh, know that a lot of these sort of well-to-do manor houses, especially ones owned by Catholics or Catholic uh, uh, sympathisers, would have these. And they would go to some quite extremes to actually try and find them. You know, the, some they would ransack the place or others they would try and find more subtly by measuring the rooms and then sort of measuring the outsides mm. and stuff like that to see if there's any disparity in the space taken up. Yeah, so, so they we, did go to... Yeah, so they went to long, you know, me- methods and links to, yeah. to continue 
um, practicing their faith. Well, in Badsley, this is actually um, a place where Thomas Percy, one of the guys, you know, the fifth man mm-hmm. to sign up to the plot, right? He was the one that leased the, you know, the places in London next to Parliament. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is that guy. That guy. Although he was killed at Holbeck House in Staffordshire, he actually is supposed to be in Badley Clinton because apparently you can hear male voices arguing and they would meet there to discuss the plot. And that's oh, what they reckon right. these voices, these arguing male voices that they're here in the garden at Badley Clinton, Badsley Clinton oh, is so supposed to be. So they, we don't know, but that's what people no. have put on it. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, sort of. It's got an association with the gunpowder plot, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and hearing voices. Yeah, and you can see the story building up around that. Mainly that because arguing. Of, yeah, mainly that, at one point, Thomas Percy actually leased Badsley Clinton, mm-hmm. but whether or not it was actually a place where they would discuss the plot, we don't know. But that's what people say. Right. But you can hear male voices arguing, and they say it's disputing the fine details of the plot in the gardens. Oh, right. So it's... Who knows, right? Yeah. Who knows, yeah. It's probably an argument about who's sending the letter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Grasped them all up. <laughs> Grasped us up. Um, Huddington Court in Worcestershire. Yep. Right. The Wintour family, this is. Now, Robert Wintour live, um, lived at Huddington Court from the end of the 15th century. And if you look on the window, you can see where the Wintour brothers have scratched their names. That's oh, quite a common there. practice, actually. And it well, was a common practice. Well, yeah, there's sort of a, a few sort of uh, houses and sort of old school. Uh, isn't uh, Shakespeare's old schoolroom in uh, Stratford-upon-Avon supposed to have his moniker somewhere inscribed on a post or something? Yeah, you know, which I believe he sort of done... I like to, it's almost like graffiti, but for us, it's really interesting looking back in history, isn't it? When you see these things, I mean, for one, it's phenomenal that that age glass has lasted. Yeah, to house very old glass. Yeah, but like when you go to like we talked about Guy Fawkes in that room, there's loads and loads of you know people have carved their names and stuff into the into the walls and stuff. So it takes some time. Take some time. Well, they had a lot of time to do it. And plus, back then, it was possibly the only way you could be sure of uh, putting your name to posterity, isn't it? Mm. Uh, history, because you know it would stay there for a long time. Mm. You know, because if you did wind up in, say, somewhere like the Tower of London, it was pretty, it was pretty certain what your fate was possibly going to be. Mm. Well, this was when they were younger. So this is like mm. when they were boys. But... When all the when they were on the run, they actually returned to Huddington, um, and they rested a short while, took mass, then rode off, and that's when they got right. captured. Now the ghost at Huddington is actually said to be Robert's widow Gertrude. Ah, uh, good old Gertrude. Okay. Good old Gertie, and now she's supposed to walk the garden known as Lady Wintour's Walk, but the ghost has no head. Oh, a headless one. A headless ghost. You got you got okay, a headless was ghost. She hung or. Hung on a quarter den or something. Or? No, no, no. Oh. She died. She just died in in despair, basically, because both her brother and her husband were executed. Yeah, so she sort of died. That's the the case. 
the classic sort of not crisis and apparition, but uh, apparition that's sort of just waiting for a lost love to come back. So sort of. the re- the fact that she hasn't got a head, she's doing it in sympathy of. Yeah. Sympathetic, sympathetic, headless. Yeah, we'll go with that. (laughs) Oh my lord, Holbeck House. Oh dear, was the site of the Gunpowder's plot's last bloody stand, where they had a big shootout. Do you remember two hundred people went and they they dried their gunpowder in front of the fire? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's this house. Uh, it was at the time. It was a brand new house owned by Stephen Littleton, or um, it's different spellings on that one, but he's Stephen Littleton, and he was actually a prominent member of the Midlands Catholic community. His brother Humphrey, what the names, honestly, you can understand why some of these names have fallen out of favour, was also involved in the scheme. Um, but they they don't think they were like overly involved. They sort of knew, but were part of the uprising more than the actual yeah. big plot. Mm-hmm. Right, and yeah. it's to do with finance and resources more than the actual blowing up bit. Now, apparently, the local ghost can be traced to the public executions of both Stephen and Humphrey. Um, so yeah. All right. Ooh. I know. Where, what? What do we go? What you know? How do we go on from there? I mean, wow. I don't know. It's now a care home, Holbeck House. But you apparently, oh, yeah, but apparently you can see bullet marks in the wall. Yes, you can still see the shot marks where the uh, sort of siege, well, the brief siege took place. They so well, basically just surrounded the house, shot it up a bit. And I think uh, Catesby and that lot actually sort of knew the situation was hopeless and just ran out of the front door, you know, sort of with their swords drawn and were shot down. Where they were, I mm. don't know. So most of the residents probably know all about it because they were there. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, it's a care home, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cynical. Apparently, <laughs> well, anyway. well, one of the grooms was like a bit like, oh, I'm out of here, right? I've got nothing to do with this. I'm out of here, right? You know, I'm not going to stick around for this. He fled on a horse, right? So he had nothing to do with it. He was just a groom. Right, mm. but he because there was two hundred people, they, they're after blood. They don't care. So he was actually pursued and shot down. And his headless ghost, lots of headless ghosts here. Everybody is all I'm going to say. <laughs> is said to ride the nearby fields. Poor bloke. Yeah, he was probably just left at the house. You know, sort of like the master was away. And then you have these guys turn up, drying out the gunpowder and everything, and causing one. Hat. I bet that ruined his weekend. He thought, great, I've got the house to myself. And then they all arrived. He's like, damn it, go away. I had a hot date set up. Yeah, I was going to invite her and say that this was my cat. The problem with this, though, is is this brings into class, doesn't it? So you've got the masters who, and then you've got the servants. I mean, he's he's got nothing to do with it. He's literally wrong place, wrong time, wrong people. Do you know what I mean? He's got, all he cared about was earning money, looking after horses for his family. And he gets embroiled in this plot. Do you know what I mean? With by proxy, because he's got nothing well, to do with it, and he loses his life through that. Especially a groom, because grooms were usually sort of young, young boys. You know, sort of so. So he wouldn't have been that old. Mm. Yeah, it's not a sort of high-ranking job per se. You know, it's just sort of like you know, you're looking after the horses, basically. 
Yeah. So that poor lad, that poor, poor lad lost his life because of that and now rides the byways and byways of life on his headlessness, on his horse, without his head. Mm-hmm. Why is there... Right, answer me this then. This is concept for you. Why are there so many headless ghosts? I can remember listening to... There is sort of like a folklore sort of a theory behind it. It is supposed to signify something. Not so much that their heads have been chopped off, but there is some some sort of significance behind the fact that they are headless. But uh, I I can't think off the top of my head why. Uh, I believe it was in one of a very early podcast, a new dunk Harry with Mark Norman. That he, he brought this up, and uh, but I can't remember. No, I, but I there don't is know. the significance behind it. I mean, other than having their head cut off um, as punishment, I don't understand why, for example, that lady um, we discussed earlier oh. walked around with a head without a head when all, it was her husband that had it cut off. Gertie. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And now we've got this poor groom who's a headless. Maybe they were offered it's either your leg or your head and they didn't want to be legless. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps perhaps it's it's their association with the main characters of the plot that they all ended up headless, effectively, after being hung, drawn and quartered, that the story is transposed onto any sort of perspective ghost of any close relative or anyone involved around the peripheries of the plot Hmm. just an idea I'll have to go back actually and have a listen to that and find out yeah I will have to go back and have a little uh, research into that because I don't know the answer to that I can't remember I can't remember discussing it even so Mm. I will have to go back and do a bit of research on why there are so many headless ghosts um the theory behind that yeah maybe maybe we... so you can just say that it's so and so and it's not really well exactly who knows but these are stories aren't they i mean i very much doubt that the, these sort of uh ghost stories are sort of they're they're heavily fictionalized you know whether there's any sort of truth in them or not but there's but the stories we're reciting here of the ghostly you know they're classic sort of ghost stories aren't they these are just like, but these are the, the traditional encounters, aren't they? These aren't yeah. teams going out in search of ghosts. No, that's These right. are like, these... you know, there's supposed to be a headless ghost that, you know, runs down this yeah. lane at, you know, I don't know, in, at midnight or something. And so somebody's had an encounter. Mm-hmm. But and, uh, that's, that's the only details you get. You're not going to get much more than that. No, they're sort of, they're sort of, they're, these types of stories are our sort of, Modern equivalent of a sort of like folk tales, aren't they? Yeah. They're part of of our rich sort of tapestry we have here in the UK, which we're quite fortunate to have these sort of, uh, these sort of, uh, quite rich ghost stories with, uh, their slight oddities, the headless ghosts and stuff like that, Mm. which again, I think may be quite unique to the UK. I'm not too sure on that, but, uh, I think that is like, We've done the thing, the the show on the Screaming Skulls, which is very unique to the UK. I think the Headless Ghost as well is uh, quite synonymous 
to us here. Yeah. Well, I don't know, because you've got Sleepy Hollow. That's American. That's a novel, though. No, I know, but... Oh. Yeah. No, yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's a, that's a novel. Uh, you know, that's... You know, you can actually trace to when that was written and stuff like that, but uh, but that's obviously using a lot of your European sort European of like... European magic and stuff going yeah. over, I see. Mm. But then that's hardly surprising because it's immigrant, isn't it? Yeah. But it's but it's quite interesting Migrant. that uh, the head, you know, we done the show on the screaming skulls, which is and uh, you know that's a head, isn't it? And uh, headless ghosts, you know, yeah. you can see some, and you can see sort of some sort of connection there. Makes it very hard to pinpoint who it is exactly, though. Well, it is. Could yeah, be anybody. Like you say, it could be anybody. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these stories, you know, if, if you see. And especially around the stately homes and stuff, if you if and if you come across something unusual, you're not going to recognise an individual person per se, especially someone from this period in history, unless you are an academic or something like that, you know, and you sort of do know what they look like. And if not, you say, well, this house was owned by such and such, you know, Anne Boleyn or whatever, so it's the ghost of Anne Boleyn. Yeah, because she had her yeah. head cut off by, you know, there's a history overlaying yeah. the... You overlay the history onto the encounter, then, don't you? Yeah, that's right. Because and you I'm know, why sure would a, a of... why would a ghost be headless? Well, we have actually got an Anne Boleyn that's had her head chopped off, so it's got to be her. You know yeah, what I mean? But with right. Gertie, Gertrude, um, there's no she didn't. Her husband and a brother brother in law did. Yeah, you know what I mean. But and, uh, if if this sighting is true, you know. Then uh, is it Gertie at all? It could be someone else. It could be something completely different. Yeah. Or it may not be anything at all. It's just, I don't know, yeah, your just... eyes not right or something. Anyway, let's talk about the Catsby Estate, which is Ashby St. Ledger Manor in Northamptonshire. This is the Catsby Estate. Now, they basically ran up an awful lot of debt. Um, they were constantly fined for Catholicism worship. Um, so that drove them to debt. They were very tenacious, weren't they? Well, they were very committed to their faith. And very yeah. committed. Um, now, he held meetings to do with the gunpowder plot, obviously, there. Um, and this was the command centre of the plot. So there's lots of ghost stories surrounding Ashby St. Ledger. Now, aha, there's... Right, the, well, you found this account in the Chicago Tribune, didn't you, Richard? Uh, yes, I believe I did. Did a ghost drive Mrs. Marshall Field Jr. from Ashby St. Ledger? Ooh. Ooh. Probably not. Probably not. Well, Mrs. Fields was a young widow and her son, called the richest boy in the world. So these are very well-to-do people. Very, very well-to-do people here. Right. Okay. This is 1907. Um, he was at Eton getting an English education. So she's come to England to basically do a son's education because there's none better than Eton, right? Right, yeah, of course. I so. Mm-hmm. Now, the Tribune answered their questions in an affirmative because ghosts were persistently talking away in the same room and the same, this room was where the plotters had planned to murder the king. Right. They reckoned that you could hear the voice of old Sir Robert Catsby cursing King James for his persecution, his heavy levies of taxes and penalties upon the Catholics. And it is said that the screams of the tortured ones can be heard in the great banqueting hall. 
and laughs of soldiers who are striving to force them to reveal their hiding place of the Catsby Jewels. So we've got a whole little shebang there. And isn't that a great story? I mean, you know, that is that is that sort of paragraph in, in itself. You know, it, it's got all the elements of your classic ghost story, isn't it? Totally. I'm a guide. You know, this poor <laughs> woman, she's got a son being trained at Eton and, you know, being educated at Eton and she's left in this house and she's got all this going on and it's all a bit too much, so she had to leave. Yeah. Terrible life. Terrible. How inconvenient. Any just. Mm. Hmm. So yeah. So those are some of the um, hauntings allegedly associated with the gunpowder plot. Now, what do we make of it all? Do we? You know, what do we make of it all, everybody? I like it. I mean, uh, as regards the sort of hauntings, I mean, there's sort of. Uh, Apart from uh, the the alleged sort of Guy Fawkes sort of haunting, that sort of seems to be the only sort of place you can place a location he was actually at. Um, So, and the rest uh, seem to be sort of uh, properties and stuff which were either owned by families or the families of of the plotters were once associated with. So... uh, for a bit of notoriety, why not sort of play that up when you're sort of trying to sell your manor house or something? You know, oh, it's got a ghost of one of the gunpowder plotters. Mm. Yeah, oh. I, th- I think the hauntings are very circumstantial. You know, it, as Richard said, you know, you've got um, a history um, of the gunpowder plotters all being around these various places and they've got some strange phenomena, whether it's parent, like whether it's um, a ghost or a ghost story or whatever, but because they've got that history to it, they link it together. Mm-hmm. And it might ne- not necessarily be the case. It might be something completely, completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think with all sort of paranormal phenomena, I mean, a lot of people do, you know, it makes it, it makes a good story if you can try and uh, sort of link it to an individual. But I've seen some sort of stuff, uh, particularly from modern sort of like ghost hunters and stuff. You watch sort of YouTube videos and they get in contact with Richard the Third, you know, and it's very, it's very, it's very sort of, yeah, really, you know, or I saw a picture once of a blur. It was just a blur, but it was <laughs> the ghost of um, Elizabeth the First. In a just, hurry. Well, it's just because it was taken in a bedroom she stayed in once while she was on royal progress around the country, you know. Like, sort of. It 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 was an interesting photograph, you know. It, you know, it was certainly sort of unusual and possibly uh, yeah, could have been ne- classed as paranormal. But well, that's it. Never mind the other fifty billion people that stayed in the same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you know, but. Some people put a lot of stock in actually trying to connect it with with a certain historic event or individual. I suppose mm. they believe it gives the story more weight. Yeah. Mm. That, that's well, my take on it. Well, anyway, we, we do bonfires and we do fireworks at this time of year. Now, um, watching The Haunting of Bly Manor, um, a little 
no spoilers, I would just like to add, um, it's going to come out <laughs> here, so you're safe. But one of the scenes is actually um, around a bonfire. And the gardener yes. tells us where the word bonfire comes from. Yes, and this surprised me, actually, you know, because it's one of those words, bonfire, you know, you, you don't really sort of question where it comes from. It's just a bonfire, isn't it? Mm. But apparently it's connected to bones, isn't it, Kerry? Yeah, it's bone and fire. And it originally detonate, denoted even, detonated, I keep getting those two <laughs> words muddled up, don't I? Um, a large open-air fire on which bones were burnt, sometimes as part of a celebration, going back to Halloween, you know. We've got yeah, the same sort yeah. of thing going on. Um, and then, so when we get into like burning of heretics and stuff like that, obviously, you know, people being burned, that's bones, right? And also the metaphorical way of looking at it is like skeletons in your closet. This is the time that you let go of that. You you get rid of it and you do it through the cleansing of the fire kind of ceremony. So you've got this bone fire, bonfire, and that's where the yeah. word comes from. Yeah. Very interesting. I know, I didn't know that until I watched um, The Haunting of Bly House and so I went and looked it up because I was like, nah. But no, that's exactly how it happens. Mm. And throughout history, well, particularly connected with the gunpowder plot and uh, Bonfire Night, it is a sort of like a, 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 a bonfires were sort of lit back in the day to sort of celebrate something. I mean, oh. and even my father can remember at the end of World War Two when they all, when the whole village got together and they built a big bonfire and lit it to celebrate VE Day. But it is a so, thing, isn't it? When you look, when we've looked at Halloween, we've looked at other occasions, fire yeah. is, is very prominent in that. And it is that drawing together of, you know, celebration and worship, isn't it? It yeah. is that form of, of thing. Now, the other thing, Penny for the Guy, did you ever do that when you were kids? It's fallen out of favour over the last few years, isn't I, it? I wasn't allowed to because my dad didn't allow begging. He wouldn't even let us do trick-or-treating. Oh, oh dear. So this is, because this it, is it, where it, his issues come from. Bar yeah. humbug is all I'm going to yeah, say on yeah. that one. Now, the burning of effigies, I always thought, was to do with Guy Fawkes. You know, you, you build a figure and you go down the town or wherever and you go penny for the guy penny for the guy and you get yeah. money to buy your fireworks with and then on the night on your big bonfire you then chuck this effigy this you know paper mash paper mash not mashed potato um, <laughs> <laughs> paper well, mash that's, that's, that's the baked potatoes you're getting yeah confused getting confused getting confused it's getting late um now i always thought it was come from there the tradition of of the guy yeah, on the phone, but it's actually earlier than that. Um, it goes back to voodoo religious practices from centuries ago, and then from the mid 13th century, the word guy was used to mean dummy or effigy, okay? Right, and in oh. turn was derived from the Anglo Norman word geezer or geyser, describing the stooge in medieval comedies, hence where we get the word geezer from, right. Okay. And then obviously... Well, um, with Guy, Guy Fawkes, maybe he was used as a bit of a scapegoat because he was a bit um, so educationally challenged. 
Mm. <laughs> yeah. So it's just pure, really pure coincidence. The guy thoughts and you know the name is just a pure coincidence. Thing. The name is a pure coincidence, but it then evolved from that practice yeah. of effigy into Guy Fawkes because of the bonfire plot. Do you know what I mean? The burning of an effigy is quite a powerful symbol. It's still done today, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You, know, mm. you see political rallies and stuff like that. So, yeah, I can see it. Yeah. So, I, And I was surprised that that, was, that actually comes from an earlier tradition and that it is pure coincidence that it was named Guy Fawkes. Yeah. All right. Do you know what I mean? I was shocked at that. But now we do. We throw Guy, as in Guy Fawkes, onto the fire but again, that practice is sort of in the last few years. That's I say last few years. What last twenty, thirty years? Yeah, we don't yeah, to do I that can, now, do we? Yeah, I do have memories of it. I never participated in it myself, but I can remember. You know, there, there, there was you know usually a guy in the high street. Mm. You know, a, a guy in a wheelbarrow usually somewhere with a kid standing yeah. next to it and people chucking pennies into the pot. Yeah. No, it's more like pound coins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember people doing that. I never did it myself, but I do have vague memories memories of seeing people doing it, kids doing it. Yeah. Um, like a effigy on a mm. wheelbarrow, wasn't it? And then they'd sit there yeah. and do that. But that I say that practice has actually fallen out of favour. Don't see that very often now. And basically it was getting money so you could buy fireworks. So you could let yeah. fireworks off. And fireworks Again, go back in quite a long time in history. They they're not a new thing. Um, no. you know. No, the ancient Chinese used them. That's where it came from, um, originally. And but they came very prevalent in the 13th century in the UK, didn't they? Was it Edward something or other? Edward the Third, I believe. Yeah, he was quite partial to some fireworks, and even a bit later, I mean, uh, Queen Elizabeth the First, she even appointed what's it, a master of the the fireworks or something. You know, because yeah. I think uh, every celebration she had, she was, um, it was always accompanied by fireworks. Yeah, I loved a bit. So they weren't unusual. I mean, they're they're not a modern a modern thing. No. Mm. No. And some of the displays they had back then were quite elaborate, you know, sort of perhaps not on the sort of context of the ones we have now, but uh, they were they were quite quite some displays to watch by all accounts. I mean, don't forget back in the early days when they first hit, you know, first became available, they're the premise of the rich. Yes, because you're literally sending money up. Smoke, aren't you? To be honest with you, these days the cost of them that's they're quite costly, aren't they? I think that's a waste of money. I love fireworks, though. I do love love fireworks. Kids love bonfire night when when you're around, no? I always make sure we we always used to do like a bonfire party, you know, like a firework party. We'd get all the family around and everyone would bring some fireworks, and by the End of the yeah. night, you've got like a, oh, God, I think one year we were still letting them off at midnight one year because we had so many. And then, oh, you so know. that was you. Unfortunately, yeah. We only do it on the one night, though, not every yeah. night through November and December, which seems to be what happens these days. I, I think it's it's <coughs> as well with Diwali as well with the Festival of Light yeah. for the Indian community. Yeah. So I, I mean, think it's, isn't it like about a week after Bonfire Night? 
yeah, I think yeah. that's coming up, isn't it? The festival yeah. of light. Plus, New Year's Eve as well. I hear a lot going off now that she never really used to hear a lot of. But I think, you know, because... Plus, here in the UK, you can actually purchase them from the shops. Mm. Uh, I believe other countries... Uh, you know, I know when I lived in Australia, you you couldn't purchase them from the shops. You needed to go and acquire a licence to actually go and purchase some from a Pacific... Uh, supplier and uh, sort of write out details of where you'll be letting them off and why and there might like even that. there might even be a shortage of them this year because yeah. they had an awful um explosion didn't they in the firework factory where was it abroad somewhere oh yeah was that in china uh no i don't think it was china i can't remember where it was um, a massive explosion it took half the continent away didn't it yeah uh, well, half the it was city awful. yeah Mm. That's right, beginning of the year, wasn't it? Uh, well, yeah. Or was more it while less... I was in lockdown? Oh, I can't remember. It's all blurring it into one, everybody. I'm sure it, sure it was lockdown. Yeah, yeah, blurring into one, I think, this year. Yeah. It's just, were we in lockdown or were we not in lockdown? Are we still in oh, lockdown think... or are we in lockdown? Uh, yeah. <laughs> right, it was definitely in lockdown. Um... Uh, yeah, just remember, we can go out but not out-out. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And you can't <laughs> see your friends and family, but you can see them at work. so anyway so this this whole time of year is full of celebrations and fire and fireworks and lots of plots and all sorts of weird and wonderful things but king james the first of england um as we've we've talked about in the show he he was very believing in folklore and mythology and demons and witches and all that sort of thing off the back of him, we have the book Demonology. He wrote that, and that leads into a whole other side of history that we're not going to go down in this one. But um, we found a really interesting article, um, didn't we, about um, demonic spirits following the 1605 gunpowder plot revealed by witch marks in Kent, is the headline. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, this is a story. I say a story. It's this true story. And there is a place in Kent which is in the UK, obviously, which the guy who owned it wanted to create a fantastic room so the king would come and visit him. And to help That's protect right. the king, he basically did a post and it had witch marks carved in it to to basically repel any bad, nasty spirits and witches so they couldn't touch the king. Um, and this is just fantastic, isn't it? And this followed the hysteria from the gunpowder plot, you know? Well, it's, it's the reason they've made the, and the connection. I mean, we all know sort of witch marks, witch bottles and stuff, you know, they're quite prevalent, you know, sort of building up to this sort of period and beyond it, you know, even up to the sort of 18th and probably early sort of 19th uh, 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 centuries. But uh, this can actually be attributed to the gunpowder plot itself because this only happened a year afterwards because... Uh, uh, sort of going into it a bit. Uh, if you had the king come and stay, that was a big thing, you know. And you didn't have a choice. The king would say, "Oh, I'm come, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm coming to visit you next year." Whilst I'm down that neck of the woods, and uh, you know, and it did bankrupt a lot of houses because they would have to build new wings and everything. And, and this is what has happened. He built like basically a bedroom add-on to his estate specifically for the king to actually stay in. Oh. And he's actually um, 
made instructions to the carpenters and stuff who actually built this to install these witch marks for protection off the back of uh, what happened the, the year before. So, you know, this ties in very neatly. I mean, because before, you know, when you sort of find these sort of witch bottles and stuff and, uh, they're usually found by accident and uh, there's no sort of real dating of when they were done, but these are from a specific date in time. Mm. See, if the Queen wants to come round and visit me, she's got the sofa. No, but but when you had the King come round, because it was usually part of the progress, they would... Uh, and Elizabeth I uh, used to do this a lot. They'd travel the country mm. and they'd stop off at all the wealthy manor houses and, and along the way. But it wasn't just well, it wasn't just it, the king or queen turned up with a couple of friends. It was the whole court. Oh, you, absolutely. You, you, you would have to cater for over 200 people. Oh, in Queen Victoria, that, that's how talks would come about. Because she, she was on a jaunt around Scotland. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she was attacked by a giant werewolf or something in uh, Doctor Who. Okay. Okay, yeah. Doctor Who. Right. And, and because the, the, they are, the Doctor sorted it all out as he does, um, at the end she banished the Doctor and set up Torchwood to investigate all these unexplained stuff and keep the Doctor out, basically. Oh, right. I thought she got it on with one of the Doctors. Queen Elizabeth I. Uh, oh, that was Queen. Uh, that was Elizabeth the first. He married. He married her. Yeah. Yeah, David Tennant, Doctor. That was. Yeah, I thought you said that it was Queen Elizabeth and one of her jaunts that then banned the Doctor. No, no, that was Queen Victoria. Oh, Victoria. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm getting my queens muddled up. Yeah. Queen Victoria, Victoria Elizabeth. Yeah, get your doctors muddled up next. Gosh. Yeah. God help me all. <laughs> yeah, oh my lord! Anyway, I think it's fascinating these glimpses back into history that we go because I've only just found it. I say they only just found this was two thousand and fourteen, um, when they were renovating the house. This is in the Upper King's Room at Knoll, and yeah. it was um, originally owned by Thomas Sackville. And uh, I just find it fascinating when you do renovations and you find something um, this hidden, hidden. But tells a wealth of information, doesn't it? Mm. Does well, yes. You know, they, they are the marks left by the. You know, they can pinpoint it, especially as I said in in in, in this instant, because they've got records of when the room was actually built and they were actually incorporated into the fabric of the room itself. Yeah, and it shows like the the belief system in those kind of entities that you need to then put these witch marks up to all these you know protections up to to ward off um those nasty pesky little things <laughs> well i think he ended up a bit sort of short-changed the guy that uh, owned the hall and done all this because the king actually died before he actually visited <laughs> of the king but this happened yeah. quite a lot i would say this yeah. when they go on progression it would be like they changed their plans at the last minute so you expect them and then they decided yeah. to go somewhere else and you've done all this work and invested all this money oh. And, oh, yeah. you know, the king or queen never actually, you know, um, graces you with their presence. Um, you know, I just think, I think it's very interesting part of history, this whole, you know, coming through from King Henry VIII all through the, the kings and the queens following through mm -hmm. and then coming into James. That whole 
period in history is smack full of, um, well, you've got the religion that basically is denying all of this, but then underneath that, you've got this folklore and belief system in, you yeah. know, Queen Elizabeth I, John Dee time, do you know what I mean? All that sort of thing. You know, when you start looking at that, that doesn't sort of fit in with Protestantism, does it? You know, we, no. but, but she used it. Um, she's very, very superstitious time, very, um, you know, that mythology is all there and it's brilliant when you find something like this and I just love it. I just think this whole period in history is, is absolutely fascinating. But we're actually coming to the end of the show, guys, so we hope you've um, got a greater understanding now of the gunpowder plot. If For those of you who don't live in England, I think we're all batty at this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> You all know that it was a guy called Guy Fawkes who went to blow up the House of Parliament, but it had a lot far-reaching um, consequences to that action. And King James I is very integral in a lot of things that came off the back of his book, Demonology, but I'm sure we will explore that in a future show. Definitely. forward to that one. Mm, on that note, say goodbye, guys. <laughs> goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.